All right, let me tell you a little story about young, dumb, naive Roy. You guys listening? Listening very carefully? Listen to this. How many of you guys have ever went through a a car buying process or gone with your parents, obviously, with a car buying process? Some of you leaders obviously have bought cars in the past or you've bought used cars, you've leased cars, whatever, right? Well, young, dumb, and naive Roy thought this was a great idea. This is what I'll do. Bought my first car. It was a Mazda 3. It was a great car. I liked it a lot. Well, six months after I bought this car, I realized, you know what? I don't really want this car anymore. I just, I got to get rid of this car. I got to do, like, what can I do to not have to drive this car anymore? And I drove, drove a lot for work. I was a sales rep for a company called Ferguson. I drove every single day. So I wanted to have a car that I was comfortable in. Well, I I thought, hey, you know what? It's a big deal just going in, trading it in, and buying something new. I should totally do this. Well, if you don't know the, the problem of what this causes, when you go to a dealership, they don't just say, oh, yeah, your car is worth the amount you bought it for. Let me just give you that money and pour it into this next car you buy. So I bought the car. Let's say it was like $20,000, okay? Typical range for a car. Um, well, they said, okay, we'll give you $10,000 for this car. Mind you, this is six months after I bought the car. And they're like, okay, I'll give you $10,000 for the car. You're going to buy this new car. We'll just add it into the loan. Young, dumb, naive Roy thought, great, where do I sign? Let's do this. So this car that I bought, the truck, I'm still driving it, paid off. It was a long time ago. Love that car. But that car, which was a $22,000 car, ended up being a $37,000 car because of my mistake. Now, let me just do some math for you. That's $15,000 that I didn't need to pay for that I had to end up paying for. That's a bad financial decision, right? I think all of us can agree on paper, oh, okay, what's 37 minus 22? $15,000 that I have to spend that I didn't need to spend if I just kept the stupid car? Roy did that. I'm telling you that today. I think God put me through that process simply for this illustration, for all of you to learn, don't do what young, dumb, naive Roy did when buying a car. Just keep the car that you have that you don't like, okay? Bad financial decisions. This sermon is all about money. We want to have the proper biblical view of what money is, how we should think about it, how we should understand it, and then how we should steward it, how we should manage it in our lives. And we have to be careful that we don't have that unbiblical and worldly view of money. This idea that money is simply something that we, you know, it's everything to us, right? That's what the world says, like, Get it. This is what you need to go after. Money is everything. This is the primary goal. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's funny because the Bible has a lot to say about money. The Bible has an abundance of passages about money. In fact, it has so much abundance of uh, of passages about money that we're going to just stick in the Proverbs today. I'm going to turn you to many verses. We're not even going to leave the Proverbs. All the references are going to be in the Proverbs. So that's what I want you to do first here is open your Bibles to Proverbs. Open your Bibles to Proverbs. Whether you have a physical Bible or on your phone, I'm going to turn you to quite a few Proverbs today in this sermon, okay? Now, as you're doing that, 
I want you to understand that the overall, the main point that I want you to take away as we walk away from this, because there's a lot that we can talk about when it comes to money. There's a lot of things that we can talk about. However, the main point I want you to take is I want you to align your view of money with what God says, and I also want you to start managing it in a way that pleases God. In order to do that, we got to take a deeper look into the Proverbs. And the first passage I'm going to have you look at is in Proverbs 10. So look at Proverbs 10 with me. Look at Proverbs 10. We're going to look at verse 15. But I want you first to actually write down the point before we even jump into this. Point number one, write this down for point number one, maintain a biblical view of money. Simple. Maintain a biblical view of money. And in Proverbs 10, 15, we read this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Sounds kind of weird, right? It's like, Roy, you just said the world is pursuing money as this ultimate valuable tool. Well, God doesn't say that money is not a valuable tool. Money is a valuable tool. It does a lot. Helpful. It's beneficial when used in the right way. When used properly. When stewarded rightly. So I want you to understand that money is valuable. I want you to understand that it is a a tool, it's a resource that we ought not to be afraid of, but we ought to use it properly. And first of all, we have to understand that God's in control of every single dollar, every single dollar and cent. God is the one who provides. God is the one who takes away. God is in charge of all of the money that goes in and out of the world. He owns all of it. And when you think about money, you have to think about the value that it can provide. Think about what it does. Think about what it it, it can support. I mean, there's hospitals that get built with money. There's churches that get started. You know, you think about uh, North Texas. You think they just willed that to exist? No, money had to go into that project in order to plant a lampstand in North Texas where the gospel is now being preached. Missions organizations, philanthropy, Think about all that money can do for the sake of the gospel. Think about, uh, you know, financially supporting a missionary or financially supporting a philanthropy, financially supporting a church being planted overseas. There's a lot of good missionary work and good organizations, philanthropic organizations that are helping people, and that's funded by the tool of money. So there's value in money. There's value in this tool. But here's the deal. We have to keep that in perspective. It's a tool. It is not the end in itself. It's a means to an end. And God wants us to use this tool for his purposes and his objectives. I mean, you think about like this, this Bible. I love this Bible. I, I love premium Bibles. Why? Because it's so soft and it's pretty. And look, it's beautiful. That, you know, they handcraft it. And the, the pages, they come from like Norway or something. And then someone in Switzerland like hand stitches it. And it's, I mean, it's, I love it. I love it. And in fact, I love it so much that, oh, I just wanted another one. And don't tell Kristen, but I think I want a third one. No, no. But the point, I, I love this Bible. I, I love the way it feels. I love the way it looks. And I love the way that it sits on my bookshelf. And then I realized to I'm just admiring this Bible, and I'm not opening this Bible. 
I mean, the, the, the Bible, the, the beauty of it and the handcraftedness of it and the, the gold and the embroidery and all of this that goes into making this Bible is not meant for, it to just, for me to just look at it on my desk. I realized I was looking at it more than I was reading the Bible. Now, I was reading the Bible, I was doing DVR and everything, but just for the sake of the illustration, I was, it was this Bible in particular that I wasn't opening up. But it was a, it's a tool. It, it, it's, it's, it's meant to help me know what God wants me to know. I mean, this Bible is as good as some paper Bible that you see at a Goodwill store that someone has written in or tore up or whatever been used so much that costs 25 cents. But it's meant to be a tool to facilitate me to read it more, to cause me to want to do more with it. And that's the idea when we picture money as uh, the end in itself, just like I thought, oh, just getting the Bible and looking at it was the end. That's what I wanted. No, no, it's meant to be a tool for me to read it more. Money is meant to be a tool for a bigger purpose. Money is meant to be a tool for a higher objective, and that's God's objective. Treating money like it's the ultimate objective, it's just foolish. It's plain foolish. Because that's not what God wants us to think about it as. Although money is a useful tool from God, I want you to be aware of the temptations that come. The first temptation is I want you to be cautious that money brings temptations. The first temptation, to think money will bring you satisfaction. Turn with me to Proverbs 23, 4 to 5. And I realize I didn't even read Proverbs 10. We're actually going to read Proverbs 23. So open to Proverbs 23, 4 to 5. Let's look at this together. Proverbs 23, 4 to 5. It says this. It says, not the wrong one, there it is. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. It's vanishing. It's fleeting. So we toil all the day long. We, we, we try so hard to get money, and here's the thing. It floats away. And even if you obtain it, guess what? When you die, it's gone. It's gone. Maybe it goes to some family members, whatever, but you're dead. You no longer need it. Temptation that money will bring you satisfaction. Money does not bring satisfaction. Money will never satisfy you. If you think, oh, if I just buy this next thing, if I just get this, oh, if I just had a better uh, clothes, then I would just be so satisfied. If I could just acquire a, a car that just makes me look cool at school, then, then, then I'll be satisfied. It's not going to bring that satisfaction. It might bring you temporary satisfaction, but it'll ultimately leave that void in your heart that only is filled, the satisfaction is only filled by faith in Christ, in trust in Jesus, in doing what God calls us to do. You won't be satisfied with more. In fact, it's funny because it does the exact opposite effect. The more you get, the more you accumulate, the more that you buy, the more that you get satisfied or you think you get satisfied with that thing that you want, the more you want. I mean, I think about this quote from Tom Brady there was this interview that Tom Brady had. It was when he was younger, uh, and he said this. He, this was after he made millions. This was after Tom Brady had multiple Super Bowls. Now, mind you, he's a quarterback. If you don't know who Tom Brady is, he's a retired quarterback now. And that was his goal, was I'm, 
I'm going to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to make money, right? I'm going to be famous and have a fortune. And he got all of that. He actually got all of that before he was 27 years old. He got all of that at a young age. And an interviewer asks him this. He says, or he didn't ask, he asked him a question like, how do you feel? And then Tom Brady says this. He says, there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I still think there's something greater out there for me? I reached my goal, my dream, my life. There's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? Well, Tom, there's a lot more out there for you. You're missing the point of life entirely because Tom is treating money as the end. He's treating money as the primary objective of his life. He's treating fame and fortune and possessions as this is what life's all about. You have a life to serve Christ. Jesus Christ will bring that satisfaction that you don't have. We're talking about a guy that has everything you think money can give you, and it can, and he's unsatisfied. I mean, you look at Hollywood. You look at all of the people that are are just lost, even though they have it all. Money doesn't bring you satisfaction. And here's another thought that I want you to think about is even if you're not finding that satisfaction in money, but you're, you're pursuing money, as we look back at our text, Proverbs 23, 4, it says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Be discerning enough to know that when you're working too much or you're pursuing money too much, that you're missing opportunities and priorities that God calls you to. So if you're a Christian, if you're at work, I know not every one of you work here, but for the most part, you all acquire money in some way, either from a job, a paycheck, or from family members, from your parents. Maybe you have some type of, uh, you know, weekly allowance that your parents give you, or you get money from birthday, or you do day-to-day tasks. It's not an official job, but you get money from that. So I want you to think about this with, with that in mind. If you're idolizing money, your work schedule is the priority in your life, right? That's what you're pursuing. So when you prioritize work schedule, you prioritize money, guess what gets sacrificed in a negative sense? Serving the church, being at ministry events, being in small group. I mean, I've been in True North long enough to know that this is something that is an idol for some of us. I've been in True North long enough to see students that say, hey, I can't make it to uh, this, this Wednesday small group because I have a work schedule. I can't make it to this event on Saturday because, you know, I, I have this thing that I promised I would do uh, at, at my job. When we idolize those things, we miss these, these priorities that God calls us to, these serving opportunities. And that's not to say that those can't happen here and there, but when that's a consistent pattern in your life, that's the priority of your life, not serving the Lord. I'm going to miss those opportunities. All right, the next temptation to think is that money will bring security. There's a temptation to think that money will bring some level of security in your life. That, hey, if I just get the right, you know, security system on my car, if I just, you know, if I just lock my backpack, then nobody's going to steal it. Or if I just, you know, I'm, some of you might ride your bike to school or you have one of those electric bikes and you lock your, that bike at school, well, guess what exists? Bolt cutters and that can be gone in five seconds, Right? We can't put our trust in money as our security in life. In Proverbs eleven twenty eight, turn there. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 
Flip with me to Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Let's see the wisdom in this one. It says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. God's in control of your life and your resources in this life. If you're putting security or if you're putting uh, your personal security in money, you've got it backwards. You're only going to find that security in Christ. You're only going to find true security in salvation because here's the thing, everything can be lost. Everything can be gone in a second. In fact, your life can be gone in a second. And all of that, that faith that you put in the money to keep you secure, well, down the drain, right? Instead, we ought to find security in Christ, not in the money that God provides us. You can't take that money with you when you die. It stays here. People use it, whether you like it or not, after you're gone. Third temptation, third temptation to think that money is the primary pursuit of life. We've already talked about that a little bit. But to think that this is the end, is chasing after money, right? There's so many people in the world that are going to tell you this is what it's all about, right? I mean, we see it in our culture. We see it in Hollywood. We see it in music. We see it in, uh, you know, all of these different industries. Even, we see it even uh, not in those type of areas, but just in the day-to-day person where it's like, hey, you just work hard, you earn a living, you get a big house, you have a big family. That's what life's about. Okay, well, that's closer. That's closer to the truth, but it's still not yet the truth. The primary purpose of life is to serve the Lord. It's to glorify God. That's what the primary pursuit of life is. Money is, is so much less than these three things I want to point out. Look at Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, verses 10 through 11. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. It says this here. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So there's value, there's more value in wisdom in the knowledge of God than money. That's what the text is saying here. There's more value in knowing what God wants you to know in doing what God wants you to do in the wisdom of God. That's what you should be striving after. You should be striving after more wisdom and knowledge of the Lord on a day-to-day basis, not after money. Proverbs 11.4, flip right over a couple pages, Proverbs 11.4. says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Did you catch that? Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but it's righteousness that delivers from death. Money is of lesser value than righteousness. Can money buy you into heaven? If you listen to Pastor Mark's sermon, um, he was talking about, you know, the, fault, the real prosperity gospel, but he brought up some of the false stuff. It's like they're thinking, like, if I can just uh, buy my way in, if I can just have more money, that's what this is all about. But that's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. You can't buy your way in. You must have the righteousness of Christ in order to obtain eternal life. Proverbs 11 makes that so clear to us. Proverbs 11.4. That money is a a far less valuable thing than than righteousness. Or Proverbs 17.1. Proverbs 17.1. Turn there just a few pages later. Proverbs 17.1 says, 
Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Money is of lesser value than relationships. Don't sacrifice good relationships with other people for your pursuit of the next dollar in life. Relationships are, are far better. I mean, it's better a dry morsel with quiet. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So you have a lot on the table. You're eating a lot, but there's animosity between the people around you. You don't think gaining more money is going to cause problems in your relationships? It, it, it will. It makes it harder. Your primary pursuit in life, it, it, it's got to be the Lord, not money. So once you understand this, once you have this biblical view of money, you, you get this perspective, you buy into what God talks about as money, uh, that money should be, or money is in your life, another important lesson that we can learn from the Proverbs is how God wants us to earn that money, all right? And that's point number two. Write that down. Earn money by, these are the two things I want to point out, hard work and integrity. Earn money by hard work and with integrity. Turn with me to Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 10. Let's look at this together. I told you I'd have you jumping all over the place in Proverbs. These are just, and just so you know, these are just a, a handful of the passages that talk about money and what we should do with it and how we should steward it. Proverbs 10, verse 4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The hand of the diligent makes rich. So someone who is diligently working hard, that's how God wants you to earn money. Be a hard worker. Your friends or, 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 your, or your employer, do they see you and they say, this is a person that works hard. This is a person that really is, is earning their keep. Why do we work hard? I mean, the Christian ought to be the, the best, most hardest worker at any job or at any task because we do so for the glory of God. We work not only for ourselves, we work for Christ. We work not only for our boss or for our parents or whoever is, is employing you with the task to pay you for. We work for Christ. So that ought to give us this type of motivation, like I'm going to work hard in this task. Christians should be the hardest workers. Proverbs 15, 19 Proverbs 15, verse 19, talks a little bit about being lazy, along with Proverbs 6. But Proverbs 15, 19, it says this, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And then couple that with Proverbs 6. I got you guys jumping. You're moving all around here. You guys turning with me? You got these pages? Proverbs 6. This is the one Pastor Jacob just recently preached on. Proverbs 6. 6 through 11. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bed in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Will someone describe you as a hard worker? Do people describe you as a person that, no, 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 they're not wasting a moment. 
They're not wasting a second. They're not oversleeping, right? They're not being a sluggard. They're careful and diligent with their time in every task that they do. That's how they're earning money, by hard work. You doing this in your job. Some of you guys work at Chick-fil-A. I mean, they seem to be like the most hardest workers of all time. You know that they'll do whatever you ask them to do when you go to that window. Like, I'm kind of convinced. Like, I, I almost want to go through a drive-thru and just be like, hey, can you, I don't do like a twirl. Chick-fil-A workers, you'd probably do it. And they'll say, my pleasure. I'll do it. And they'll, they'll twirl for you and be like, here's your Chick-fil-A sauce, right? I feel like they would because they're hard workers. They're like, they should be the models and doing, you know, conventions on how to be a hard worker at a job. Do people describe you as that person, right? At school, are you working hard? I mean, I know this is kind of disconnected from earning money, but at school, are you also that hard worker where you're taking your, uh, your schoolwork seriously? Like, would your teachers describe you as a person like, yeah, this person's working hard. They're not being lazy. Because here's the thing. I mean, it, only, it doesn't only apply to money. Like, hard work, if you don't start that now, if you don't start hard work and, and not being lazy now, then it's never going to come. It's just going to get ingrained more and more into your life and into your behavior. you got to start that today. Some of you guys don't have jobs, but you, you, uh, you, know, you play a sport, right? you got to be working hard and not being lazy in order to excel at that sport. That's what your coach expects. That's what your teammates expect, and I'm sure that's what you expect in your life, is to work hard at that sport. Don't be lazy. God wants you to earn money through hard work, which reminds us of these type of quick rich schemes like get rich have you guys seen these get rich quick schemes maybe and they do it so well now like when i was when i was young it was like they they you know they'd call you and they'd say hey you want to get rich quick right now they don't do that right and tell me maybe you haven't seen these but like on instagram you've seen these people say oh you can earn thirty thousand dollars in a month by just like 30 minutes of work you just go to this website, and you type this in, and then you go to, have you guys seen this? Am I the only one that's seen this? You guys have seen this, right? And I, and I guarantee you, it's a multi-level marketing scheme. I guarantee you, because they just, it probably doesn't work, but they're like, if I get more people involved in this, then I get paid more. And so that's kind of how those, those uh, pyramid schemes work, right? You're not, it's not even the product that they're promoting. It's you just getting on the team. That's how they earn money, right? But these get-rich-quick schemes. They're all over the place. They're everywhere. That's not hard work. This is the opposite of hard work. That's not what God calls us to do. And even if they were to work, those get-rich-quick schemes, that's not how God calls us to earn our money. God calls us to be diligent and to work hard and to not be lazy. I mean, those get-rich-quick schemes are fueled by laziness. People that don't want to work, they just want to do whatever they possibly can to get as much money with the least amount of work with, by sitting in bed typing on a computer. If you're in one of those schemes, please get out. <laughs> please don't be involved in them. Proverbs 13.11, Proverbs 13.11 helps us with this. It says, let me pull it up. Proverbs 13.11 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. I know the, the Proverbs aren't emphatic promises, but they're good principles that we can live by. So you look at this and you see, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. So even if those get rich, 
rich, quick schemes did work. I mean, the principle still stands. It's not good for us as Christians. Proverbs 28, 20. Proverbs 28, 20, it says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Those are some severe words there. Faithful man will abound in blessings. Someone who's faithful and who's diligent in their job or in their task that they earn money from. Because again, I know that you're not all employed, but there's ways that you earn money and that there's ways you handle money. And even if this is something where it's future for you guys, it's like, Note this down as this is how I need to start practicing my behaviors now so when I have a job in the future, this is something that I can uh, capitalize on. Something can be helpful. So I had a friend a few years ago. um, I guess it was more than that. It was before Chris and I were married. But um, he tried to recruit me into one of these get-rich-quick schemes. And I didn't know it was that at the time. It was a guy that was in my small group. And uh, I thought he was a great guy, and I wanted to get to know him better. We went, and we had a little bro date. We had coffee, and we were just, like, getting to know each other, right? Well, halfway through this, uh, this coffee time, I realized, dude, this guy is just trying to sell me on something. And it's funny because I realized it was a scam, like, while we were talking. And he, he was like, oh, man, it, I, these, these guys, they're just, like, your mentors, and you just have to, like, pay them $500, and then they'll just, like, tell you how to get rich, and I was thinking, I think, I think there's a problem with this here, man. Like, I think this is a scam. Like, I think we're in a get-rich-quick scheme here. And I didn't think, because I didn't know him that well, so I didn't want to just be like, hey, dude, you should get out of this. Like, this is crazy. I'm not going to be involved in this. I didn't end up hanging out with him more after that. But it's funny, because he texted me like six months later, and he said, hey, that was a scam. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to get you involved in that. Like, sorry about that. And praise God, I didn't get involved in that because it was a scam, right? And that's the main point of this I want you to draw out of that illustration is that these get-rich-quick schemes are not helpful. They're, they're scammy. They're typically trying to benefit someone above that person and not that person in themselves. So don't fall to that. And we have biblical precedent to, uh, to, you know, to build on that. So let's not, not fall for that. Good decision-making is, is the third way that we... Um, can earn money with hard work and integrity. So when you think about integrity, when you think about being prudent, when you think about being, having good judgment, you want to make good decisions and be faithful to God. That's what leads to prosperity. So look at Proverbs 14.24. 14.24. Proverbs 14.24 helps us understand this a little bit better. And it says, The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly, the foolishness of fools brings folly. The foolishness of foolish people brings more foolishness, right? So when we look at this, making good decisions, wise decisions, being careful with the decisions that we make. If they're financial or, or something else, making bad decisions leads to the opposite of what God calls pro- prosperity, the right prosperity, real prosperity. Proverbs 22.4, Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life, right? So pursuing God, following his commands, obedience to him, that brings prosperity. Also, I can't leave this point without talking about dishonesty, right? When we're talking about integrity, we want to have integrity, we want to make good decisions, we want to be uh, uh, honest people, we want to be humble people, 
but there's also the opposite that can lead to financial gain, and that's dishonesty. That's going to lead to ruin. You may get more money, but you'll sell your soul with it. Dishonesty is, it, it will lead to ruin. Proverbs 22.1, Proverbs 22.1, it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. It's your reputation, your name, what God thinks about you, right? How you appear to God is better than gaining money. It's better than earning quick a quick dollar or even dollars that last your life, your whole lifetime. It's better to earn with integrity than dishonesty, which seems pretty clear, but when you look at the world and you see all of these people gaining so much money by being dishonest, it's temptation is, is there to be like, oh, I can just, if I just cheat a little bit, right, then I'll be good. I mean, you, you can think about that in your workplace. It's like, I would never do this. I'd never steal. Okay, well, how are you using your time when you're at work? If it's not work, if it's just a task, someone's like telling you that you're mowing someone's lawn or you're cleaning a garage for your parents or something like that, and you cut corners like, I'll just sweep this under the rug and I won't do it exactly the way they say. Well, you're stealing from the person who's employing you. You're stealing from uh, the person that's paying you the, that money. Instead, have integrity in every single task, financial um, or other. And I see all over social media these crazy um, videos of people just robbing stores. Have you guys seen those? I mean, they're just like, like a mob of people with ski masks are running into these luxury high-end stores, grabbing all the items and running out. And this is, this is people trying to earn money by dishonesty. This is not someone that, that is, is struggling to put food on the table. These are people that are pulling up in like Mercedes Benz and Bentleys that are grabbing all this stuff and throwing it into their cars. This is dishonest gain. They're not growing. With, I mean, this will lead to their ruin. This will lead to their ruin. And I know that's not what, and I hope that's not what you're doing or planning to do is running into a store and stealing a bunch of stuff. But the point still stands when you think about your workplace. You think about how you can be in, uh, have integrity and be honest in every single task you do where you're earning money from it. After you earn money God's way, you need to be a faithful manager of it, and that's point number three. Write this down for point number three. Faithfully steward the money God provides. Faithfully steward the money God provides. You have to understand that God's the one that provides the money. I use that verbiage specifically because I want you to know that even when you earn it, who gave it to you? God. And he has the right to give and he has the right to take away. He's the one providing all of this for you. He's the one that's giving it to you. You are simply a manager of the funds that he's given you, whether that's a little bit, a middle road amount, or a lot. God's the one who provides it for you and he says you need to be a faithful steward of this. You need to be a good manager of this money. So how as a student can you do that? Every dollar you receive is from God, and it's used for his glory. Manage well what God provides. Proverbs 22.3, Proverbs 22.3, it says this, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So prudent, prudency, that's someone who's being a, a good decision maker. That's someone who has uh, right judgment. That's someone who plans and makes preparation. So 
a good steward of what God provides is someone who plans in advance. It's someone who uh, thinks through their financial decisions, the purchases that you make. Because when you realize this biblical view of money that, hey, this is from God and this is for the purpose of God, then you start to take money a little bit more seriously and you think, okay, I need to be a much more faithful steward of this because it's not even mine to begin with. It's God's. It's for God's purposes. And that's not to say you can't go have fun and do something with the money, but that is to say that you should be thoughtful about what you do with the money. It's to say that you should really consider how you're spending that money. One great thing that every single one of you should start doing, even if you don't have a job, even if you don't even do tasks that provide money, you should have a budget, some type of budget that you're putting together. Every single one of you, whether it's the only way that you get money, your only income, you don't even have an allowance. The only income that you get is from like birthday and Christmas. You should be faithfully stewarding that money with some type of budget. Like I'm going to put, you get $100, I'm going to put $10 towards fun with my friends. I'm going to put $20 towards, uh, uh, I don't know, like saving, right? And I'm going to put this other, whatever I, I don't know math, 70, $70 towards this, right? My point is, is that you should have a budget in knowing where every single dollar is going. You should know where it goes. Set financial goals for yourself too, right? That should be a part of your budget. Set financial goals. Like, again, I know this sounds silly because some of you as freshmen are thinking like, dude, I haven't gotten a dollar in like three years, right? And then the seniors are like, yeah, I pay for my own car or something, right? I mean, there's a big drastic difference here. But you need to understand that every single dollar that you have, whether you get $5 a year or you get, you know, $10,000 a year. You need to know where that money's going because you're the manager of what God's given you. This is God's money. This is what God's dealing with. And he's given it to you to, to steward. Turn to Proverbs 21, 17. Proverbs 21, 17. If you were at 22, 3, it's just uh, probably a page over for, your, for you guys. Proverbs 21.17 says, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Okay, what are we talking about here? Someone who loves spending their money on things of the world, will it'll lead to poverty. Manage money well by not spending carelessly. Right? Some of us will, will get the paycheck and we've spent the paycheck before we even knew it hit our bank account. Right? We, we, want to, we want to be much more uh, thoughtful with the things that we purchase. Think about the things that you purchase on a weekly basis. Are you being thoughtful and careful about those things? I think when we're young, we, we think like, oh, it's fine. It's, money will come later in life as well. Like, no, no, no. Right now, especially for you that are Christians, right now, you should start this practice because you're not going to do it in the future. You won't if you don't start now. In 2001... This guy, David Edwards, <clears throat> he won $27 million in the lottery. $27 million. This was 22 years ago. So that's like, what, a billion dollars now? I don't know. $27 million. That was an inflation joke in case you guys weren't aware. Yeah. $27 million, right? A lot of money. This guy inherited a lot of money. Five years later, he was broke living in a shed with his wife. Five years later. And as I was researching this, there were some people that lost all of their lotto money in like 20 months. So it was even worse for some. But there's a, there's a list of people that have lost this money. Well, David, 
David thought, hey, look, I'm going to buy numerous expensive cars. I'm going to buy houses. I'm going like, to do all of these crazy things and, and spend all this money because apparently he thought that this money doesn't end when you have $27 million. Well, it quickly dries up when you're careless with what you buy, right? Sadly, that couple spiraled into drug addiction, and David died at 58 years old, broke. So <laughs> that's, that's younger than some of your parents in here. I mean, at 58 years old, this guy was gone, and he possessed $27 million. You think about what $27 million could do in this world that we live in, in the kingdom. Spending carelessly, is, it's going to lead to ruin. Also, I want to have a note on debt, being cautious about debt. Look at Proverbs 22.7. 22.7. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to a lender. Now, seniors, I'm, I'm looking at you here for a second, but um, there's this uh, financial debt that you probably, some of you will be taking on with student loans, right? Some of you are blessed to where your parents will pay for it all. Some of you will have to take out some type of financial uh, uh, debt in order to get there. It's not necessarily what I'm talking about here, but it is important to be cautious because there is, a, there is something you're getting from that, right? There's this degree that you're getting from that, and that's a good thing. It's, it's more of an investment than debt. But you still ought to think about that, senior. Think about debt for a second. Is this something that I am willing to pay for the rest of my life? When you realize, oh, yeah, for the rest of my life, I say that. It is kind of for the rest of your life, I guess, but Wow. <laughs> right. Anthony's like, amen. Amen. This is for the rest of your life. Be cautious about debt, right? I mean, that, when you're taking on debt, you start to reconsider, what type of, what type of major am I going to do? Can I pay this back? And hopefully I can pay this back within my lifetime, right? So you got to be cautious about taking on debt. Credit card debt. I mean, that's bad debt, unless you're going to pay it off right away, Right? But if you, people in this world are accumulating piles of debt through credit cards because they want to buy things that they can't afford, right? That's not being a good steward of the money God provides, paying and buying things that you don't actually have the money for. And in fact, that's dishonest when you really think about it. It's like, I, I can totally afford this. Well, you can't because the money's not in your bank account. So be cautious about taking on debt. This is the last point I want to make in this point. It's, it's the, probably the most important one. I want you to faithfully steward what God provides by being a generous person. We should be giving to people. We should be generous with others. Proverbs 28, 22. Proverbs 28, 22 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. A person who is not generous, stingy, and he, he holds his money back, and he's always asking friends for, for uh, you know, can you pay for this? Can you pay for that? You know, oh, you owe me this, you owe me that. Stinginess is the opposite of generosity. Don't be that stingy person. Don't be that stingy friend. Man, when I was in high school, I remember, I remember counting dollars and quarters and pennies to pay my friend back for a ride he gave me because he's like, you owe me gas money. Don't be that friend. All right? Some of you might be that friend. 
Don't be that friend. You Venmo request your buddy $5, gave you a ride home. Let's not do that, right? Let's not be stingy. But also, like, start paying for each other. It's like brothers, sisters in Christ, like, use your money for the glory of God. Be generous with your money. Be loose with your money. Let it go. Give it to other people. Help other people. Not even just talking about people in need. We'll, even, we'll talk about that. This is talking about people just, ra- just randomly, like, oh, I'll pay for a meal, or I'll buy your coffee. Don't worry about it. Right? We got to get past this. You owe me this. You owe me that. No, no, no. Be generous with your money. Be someone who gives, gives, and gives some more. Proverbs 3. I love this passage. Proverbs 3. Look at this with me. If you haven't been tracking along with me, please turn to Proverbs 3. Look at this one. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So we're talking about giving back to God. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So I want you to be careful thinking like, oh, okay, if I just give it all away, God's going to give it all back. Well, that's not necessarily what we're talking about, but there is an element of truth there. And that element of truth is what I want you to take away from this, that you cannot outgive God right? Give to the church. Give to friends. Help people in need, right? Give to an STM. Give to a a person, like Thrive does these meal trains. Some of your families um, are involved on these meal trains from time to time. Give to those. I know individually some of you guys gave to an STM. Good job. Keep doing that stuff, right? Be faithful with your money. Be a good steward with your money. God will bless that. God will provide more. I mean, think about that. If you're giving to God's church and giving to God's people, why would God not be like, I'm going to give more to that guy than the guy who's stingy with it? No, no, he wants to give to the person that, that, that gives to others. It's not so that you can abound in abundance financially. It's so that you can continue to give. That's why God gives us money. I mean, if you're rich, give more. Poor, give less, but be generous, be giving. Be a giving person. The statistics show almost the opposite of what I'm preaching at you right now. It's like I I looked up, I researched the giving statistics, and this isn't to say like, oh, hey, I'm not trying to manipulate you or to, to make you feel bad about how much you give. It's not about how much you give necessarily. I mean, it could be, but it's about let's get you giving. Let's get you giving to the church. Some of you guys earn upkeep, you earn money, and you don't give, right? We're commanded biblically to give, and this passage is helpful for us to see that and to do so generously. Be a cheerful giver. Some of the stats might shock you. About half of the regular givers in church, they give only 1% to 2% to the church. Now, let me put that in perspective. Most people are spending 20% on their homes. They're spending another 10% on their cars, right? 1% one to two percent to go to the sake of getting people saved, to the sake of having pastors have money so that they can preach sermons and teach you the Bible, to have missionaries go out into other countries and share the gospel with people. One to two percent are going to those spiritual things, and the other 99 percent is going to things of the world. People who give regularly only make up about 25 percent of a church people that are giving regularly on a regular basis, only a quarter of the church. I would hope Compass Bible Church is probably better than that, but 
This is just the, this is the survey. This is a typical uh, survey of churches in America. 37% don't give money at all. Regular attendees don't give at all. The average giving of a Christian is 1 to 2.5%, 1 to 2%. During the Great Depression, you guys familiar with the Great Depression? 3.3%. That was the giving to the church in the Great Depression compared to now. Well, within the last few years. I think this study was from a couple years ago. The point is, are you giving to the church? Are you being a generous person with the, the money that God provides? Are you giving to STMs that your friends are going on or that you're going on? Are you giving to the evangelism and the pastoral team and the church renovation and the ministry efforts? I mean, you look across the street and you see how God is blessing this church and we're expanding it. This is not just so the church looks pretty, even though that's part of it. This is so that people come in and they can fellowship in this big uh, conference area that we can fellowship and talk. And you know how many good conversations happen on the patio that are now going to happen in this beautifully renovated spot where people will stick around longer and talk and have spiritual conversations and probably even salvi- uh, salvific conversations. I mean, when, when you think about your money that you give back to the church, you're literally sowing into people getting saved. You have to see every dollar as a, as a means of someone getting saved. See this, see your money in that way, and you'll give a lot more. You'll be much more generous. And some of you will start giving because you realize, wow, people are actually getting saved because of the money that I've provided. There's so many ways that I can make that clear to you, but I'm not, uh, I don't have time to do that. But um, really, I, I want you to step away from what the culture's teaching, step away from what the world is teaching. The world's telling you the exact opposite of everything that I've been preaching to you, everything that the Bible makes so clear to us. Use your money for yourself. Gain more. For, it'll make you so much happier. You'll be satisfied. But the exact opposite is true. The exact opposite of, is true of money. Examine yourself. Reflect on how you view money. It's so important that you align your view of money with what God says and use it. Steward it in a way that pleases him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the abundance of passages that talk about this topic of, of finances, of money. God, we are so grateful to you that you, uh, you do. When we give back to you, 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 you do much with it. There's so much good that's happening as a result of the financial uh, generosity of our people. God, help us to have a right view of money. Help us to have uh, a, a good stewardship of what it is that you provide on a daily basis, whether it's little or a lot. God, and that changes, of course, the specifics change on how we can be generous or how we can steward, but the ultimate point is that God, we want to be good stewards of this tool, of this resource that you give us. Just thank you, God. Thank you for your word that reminds us of that. Uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.